0: Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, you'll hear from the authors that make Supply Chain Management Review such a special publication. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments now to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Supply Chain, Realizing Value from Supply Chain Planning. I'm Bob Troublecock, and joining me today are Steph Vermarin, who recently retired as Vice President of Supply Planning at Janssen, and Marcella Perez, OMP's U.S. Advisor Manager. Now, if you're not familiar with Janssen, it's the pharmaceutical division of J&J, where it focuses on six key areas, including cardiovascular, oncology, and infectious diseases. And if you're not familiar with OMP, it's a leading supply chain planning solution. I met them at Gartner, and they specialize in complex supply chains. Steph, Marcella, welcome.
1: Yes, welcome.
2: Thanks. Thank you for having us with you.
0: Well, great. I'm, I'm really pretty excited to do this uh, episode. First, this is a milestone for me. It's my 50th Talking Supply Chain podcast, and I'm soon to record the 50th episode of The Rebound. That's the podcast I co-host with Abe Ashkenazi from the Association for Supply Chain Management. So it's a pretty exciting day, and as I say, I'm really excited to have Steph and uh, Marcella with me. Uh, So back to today's episode. Coming out of the pandemic, I've noticed two things, and I think they're related. The first is that planning and procurement were perhaps the processes most impacted by the global shutdown. I'm sure that operations would argue that they had to recalibrate on the fly to operate safely. They had a pretty tough time. And of course, they're still being impacted by staffing and supply shortages. But you give them a plan plus some supply to make stuff or ship stuff, and operators figured out how to operate. And many have told me that they're pretty much back to normal. Planners, on the other hand, struggled to plan to a large degree because there was no historical reference for what happens to demand during a global shutdown or the environment we're in now, how are consumers going to react once the world reopens? And procurement has evolved from a world of abundance where there were lots of suppliers to one of scarcity where supply is in short supply. I think neither of those two processes could just flip a switch. The second that I noticed is that digital transformation really kicked into high gear the last couple of years. Most organizations, as we all know, had digital transformation initiatives underway before COVID. Heck, it's the theme of Gartner and has been for the last three or four years. But they really became more critical as we all had to operate virtually, which meant we had to operate digitally. And when I say that I think they're related, many of the initial transformation projects I'm aware of originated in planning and procurement. They seem to be the low-hanging fruit that uh, organizations identified to start a digital transformation initiative. So today, we're going to focus on planning. That's Steph's and uh, Marcella's expertise. So let's get started. I'm going to throw the first question out to both guests. I'm going to start with Steph. Now, I understand that you recently retired, and I'm jealous, but tell us a little about your career and your role in planning when you were still at Janssen.
1: Okay, so thanks. So, first of all, congratulations with the 50th uh, time that you do this uh, type of of exercise. And I can assure you that um, being retired, it has also its challenges, but it's very nice to be retired. But let's go back to your question. So, uh, I started as an uh, automation engineer at uh, Janssen. Then I moved to the IT uh, department. Um, Then I was um, responsible for the, the European distribution. A warehouse in, the, in Belgium, uh, and then I moved to the position of the plant planning uh, coordinator of the European sites. It was together when the European organization was uh, created. I did that for several years, and then they gave me the opportunity to become their, the vice president, where I not only had the planning, but also the demand piece, distribution, transportation, systems. Uh, I had an, a new product introduction group, uh, and so on. After um, having done this, uh, I moved to the worldwide organization whereby my planning experience and my planning um, uh, responsibilities were extended with also the ones from the the US. Then I moved to the medical device sector where I worked for four years, where I had more or less the same type of role. So planning, distribution, uh, the demand piece, uh, warehousing, new product introductions. And then I came back to the pharma environment for the last 10 years of my career where I had the the planning uh, department worldwide then from all the different internal and external plans. I had also the the, uh, SNOP process, strategic capacity systems was a big uh, part of it uh, until I retired uh, one year ago.
0: Uh, Marcella, so I'm going to put the same question to you. And uh, you know what I find fascinating? You and I had a, a chance to talk for a few minutes while we were waiting for Steph. And uh, Steph just described a really, you know, fascinating career that covered all the bases. Right, started out in distribution, ran a warehouse, moved into planning, uh, and then across different segments within Janssen, and then also, you know, from local to to global. And I know you've had a a pretty wide range of experience as well. Tell us a little bit about what you did before you joined uh, OMP.
2: Well, most of my experience has been in the industry, as we talked before this podcast. I started with uh, Anderson Consulting as a financial consultant, but I am a former chemical engineer. So then I moved to Brockton Gamble. I was with Brockton Gamble for 16 years. I started there in site engineering and then I moved to product supply so I have I was able to learn within PNG that is an amazing school how to do SNOP planning I was a market planner a supply planner a demand planner I even managed the part of production planning and physical distribution I had the opportunity, well, opportunity while in P&G to manage the Mexican market, but also manage 14 different supply chains when, while I was with the baby care and the femcare care business. After that, I decided to leave P&G and I moved to a chemical company that is called Mexichem. And then they contacted me from Barth Medical, that is uh, now part of Becton Dickinson. So I alr- I had the opportunity of start le- learning about medical devices. And my final assignment or work before coming to the U.S. and joining OMP was with BFF, that is a pharmaceutical company, the second most important pharmaceutical in France. And I was managing their pharmaceuticals and thermo cosmetics, but we're talking about also implementing the SNOP process, coaching the team to have demand and supply planning, managing physical distribution and warehousing that is very different from pharmaceuticals that were well, my previous experiences, and also manage the part of customer service. So basically, it's I have covered most of the assignments, and I think that is one of the reasons I am here in OMP. And today, as an advisor, one of my main goals and obje- objectives is to be able to define a continuous improvement methodology that can drive value and adoption for, for the overall process, you no? Know? and help the company and the customers to start even before the design to define their business cases so we can help them to build a continuous improvement process.
0: I, I, I think between uh, the two of you and your experiences, we can write the supply chain management, uh, you know, owner's manual, right? You, you've both done just about everything I can think of in supply chain management, although neither of you mentioned I drove a truck. But, you know, but other than that, it seems like we covered a lot. Um, so, Steph, I'm going to come back to you here for a couple of questions and then uh, we'll end up with Marcella. One of the things that we talk a lot about today is supply chain complexity. Um, you know, Marcel is with OMP that talks about, you know, they specialize in complex supply chains. And I have to think that um, in a, a company focused on pharmaceuticals and medical devices, that complexity, uh, you know, falls into that. Can you describe just the environment you had to account for uh, when you were doing planning and SOP at Janssen? And what are some of the challenges um, in the pharmaceutical supply chain.
1: Steph? Yes, yes, I'm here.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry,
1: did you hear the question? No, 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 I I lost you. I don't know what happened. Oh, I don't either. Okay,
0: so uh, I was saying that um, we talk a lot about supply chain complexity today, and I have to imagine that um, complexity is just part of the job in the in, in in the pharmaceutical and medical device supply chain. Can you describe a little bit of the environment that uh, you know you had to work around or plan for in Janssen? You know what's unique about that supply chain from a planner's perspective?
1: Yeah. Okay. No, I think it's a very valid uh, question. Um, I think one of the key elements uh, when I came back to, to Janssen. Was um, that the um, our research department um, was very productive in bringing new products to the market yeah, for new um, in, in new therapeutical areas in order to further improve the lives of many patients uh, worldwide. Yeah, it was not. Um, I came out of an uh, an environment, let's say, fifteen or twenty years ago, where you had uh, one product each two or three years uh, and now we had one product a year sometimes even two launches a year so that was one one aspect um, that um, i encountered when i when i came back yeah so our r d and then also marketing uh, our commercial uh, group did a tremendous good job in order to provide new products to these uh, these customers but this meant that our supply chain need to follow that cadence yeah, and the products um, also changed and, and became more complex because they came not only out of our own uh, R&D environment, but also some products were licensed in. And sometimes um, in, the, in the deal that was made, also a supply chain structure was, was included. This all meant that, um, that the number of nodes that the product passes before you and I can uh, use the product increased from three nodes, dominantly 15 or 20 years ago, to more than 10 um, today with the new products. And that is still increasing. Yeah, So when it went to, to 6, 7, 10 years ago, then it increased to 10. And even now we have supply chain where we have uh, 12, 13, 14 different nodes before you have your, your end product. Yeah, Those nodes can be worldwide. It can come from internal um products in internal factories it can come from external and they all need to come together yeah. so the big reason for this is that the products themselves are more complex yeah. so the, the simple tablet uh, is, is is still still there but this is a minority now we have very complex injectables sterile environment whereby that um, also the capacity in order to produce them is using special technology for which you don't have, all the capacity in house but you need also to buy capacity external Um, but it's also important that not only the the production um, manufacturing environment is is became more complex but also the, the quality aspect became more complex yeah more lab tests and so on and in uh, And as you know, uh, in pharma, you have a physical product, but also you have a logical product with a lot of uh, documents in order to prove that you have produced it in the right way, in order to convince the regulatory bodies and the quality control of all the different countries to manage this. So that was one aspect that was was, uh, completely uh, new. Second aspect is that um, in order to provide the best service to our patients as fast as possible, we delivered the product uh, faster than in the past. Yeah? Um, this means that sometimes um, during the process, uh, some of the aspects of the development of the product was changed rather, rather lately. Yeah? Or that we already start launching uh, the product in, in one country and we noticed that, for instance, the product was doing much better so that, that the reaction of the patients on the product to improve their life was much better than what was predicted. Uh, even in the best forecast that we received, sometimes we saw that the forecast was um, exceeded by two or three times. Yeah? So also that brought quite some challenges to the supply chain in order to cope, uh, to cope with this. Yeah? Um, of course, the, the, uh, when you have a new product and uh, you, you start to use that worldwide, you also need to have an organization to, uh, uh, to uh, address this. It was also not so easy to find the right people huh? because in the meantime we are using more advanced systems with the right capabilities in order to to deal with this and to uh, uh, to manage the supply chain. Yeah? So that are a few of the of the big aspects that uh, I encountered when I uh, when I came back. Yeah? And of course, sure. uh, like in a big company, you need to deliver also on on, on efficiency and on uh, on inventory reductions and so on. That came on top of the whole service aspect.
0: You, you, you hit on something I was going to ask you about. Um, yeah, I, I haven't written a lot about the pharmaceutical industry, but I've written about the wine and spirits industry and new product introduction is a really big deal for that industry, right? They're like a company like Diageo's introducing more than 100 new products a year. And I'm not talking about just like, you know, an old skew in a different size bottle, completely new products. Um, And and you mentioned the challenges, like sometimes, you know, the outcome is better than anticipated and you get twice the demand. What are the, from a planner's perspective, just real quick, and then we'll get back to the, the, the other things we're going to talk about. But from a planner's perspective, you know, what are the, what are the, what's the data or what are you bringing in to try and, you know, get a, to get a great forecast on a new product that you're not going to have a history with?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the, the, the key problems that we encountered. Yeah, so, um, we tried to, to use um, the data that we received from the clinical trials, but also from our uh, marketing departments from the different, uh, the different countries, in order to understand what are the different uh, ranges. One of the problems that we encountered is when you use an uh, an, an ERP system, let's say SAP. SAP also works, always works with one number. But our business is not one number. Our business is a range. And our planning people need to cope with um, the upside or, or even aggressive upside, downsides, and so on. And they need to use scenarios what if... uh, scenarios in case of we exceed the um, uh, the forecast or for instance when the the forecast is lower. So one of the challenges that our planners have is that the world where the ERP is giving one number is gone. Now we need to have very um, accurate uh, scenario type of of, uh, support systems in order to understand if the forecast is twice or three times uh, higher, what does this mean, yeah. um, and what do we need to do yeah. in order to use that information into the SNOP process with with all the different uh, players, finance, marketing, um, commercial, uh, R&D, to discuss um, what if uh, this happens or that happens and what can we do. So the planner uh, has moved from a pure person that um, tells a plant, now you have to, to uh, produce uh, this at that point in time for the next, uh, for the, in a in time range of the next six months, to a person who understands what is happening in the business, develops different scenarios and bring them forward through the the S&P process to, to the different stakeholders to discuss the business opportunity or business challenge or what is needed.
0: I, I talked a little bit about digital transformation in my introduction, and I know I've, I've had a chance to, to speak to some of your former J&J colleagues on the consumer side uh, of the supply chain business and some of the things they're doing. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, and you may have just hit on one, by the way, when you're talking about scenario planning, but can you share with us one or two of the planning transformation projects you sponsored with OMP at Janssen. What did you want to address and how did you address it?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So um, for us, this digital transformation and the big change um, in this area was really needed to cope with the the business challenge, like like I've explained a little bit earlier on. One of the things that we noted is that, um, and this was an, an historical aspect, is, in fact, we had four different uh, supply chains. Yeah, you had one in Europe, you had one in the US, one in, uh, um, in, in, in Asia, one in uh, um, um, South, South America. Yeah, and the intention was to bring them all together. Yeah, because our supply chain and our value stream uh, became more global, but everything was connected. So through the digitalization and through uh, becoming, uh, uh, let's say, one organization, we first created one new process that was going to be used across all these different organizations. Once we had that defined that one process, we created one organization and then we went to, uh, to, to one system. Yeah, instead of using, and then we counted at a certain point in time, we had more than 500 different excels running around in our supply chain. The intention was to move away from all these excels and to go to one system where we had the, the that was the single source of truth for the different scenarios. Another aspect that we started to do, and that was through the digitalization and through the data, uh, artificial intelligence that you have in order to predict demand. And there was a big evolution. Yeah, when you looked uh, five years ago and you said, okay, let's now predict um, the demand, we could predict through artificial intelligence with the algorithms that were uh, available at that point in time, about 30 to 40% of our uh, SKUs, better than the information that we received from marketing. But there was a very fast evolution in that area. Yeah? So, so the different uh, vendors, and, and, and OMP was, uh, was one of them, were using new type of algorithms and at the end, we were able. Um, at the end, I mean, uh, a year ago when I retired, we were even able to predict more than fifty percent of our SKUs better with the system or through the system than through the, the very traditional flow of information through marketing, and then you have information. So, so this is this is one example yeah, that we used there. The second thing is, and that was also very important, is when you are are working in a global supply chain and you have different nodes, the impact that you uh, uh, have when something happens in one node or or there is one event, we had uh, Hurricane Maria for instance, or recently uh, Corona, it was very important that we could um, define very fast the impact of such an event. Uh, on that. Yeah. Therefore, we also used all the data and the systems that were available to bring to management yeah, um, what is the impact, for instance, when we had Hurricane Maria in, in, in Puerto Rico and our supply chain and how to resolve this. Yeah. So that's an that's another example that we used in that uh, in that area and we were very successful uh, in order to, to bring that forward. Yeah. Um, Another aspect is in, in supply chain, uh, uh, I always tell the organization you can win a battle on the short term. and Short term in the farm environment is, is one or two years. But you win the war on the longer term, yeah? on the term of, of five to ten years. Yeah? because And that's first the strategic horizon. Yeah? Therefore, it's important that you can identify what is the capacity need that you have with all the new products that is in the pipeline and the announcements that are going to come um, on the the capacity impact in your uh, manufacturing network, internal or external, and where to invest and what to do. Not only for growing products, but also for products which are in their decline phase or for which the patent has has increased to understand what is happening there. So also there, the systems, the data, the the algorithms that we have uh, developed there, uh, we're helping us to provide that insight in order to bring that forward to management. Uh,
0: that's, that's fascinating. And, it, um, and, and, it sounds like that, that broader view beyond just like what's going to be our demand is a big part of uh, the value that you're able to bring down planning. Uh, I want to jump to Marcella. I want to, I'm, I'm kind of watching the clock and want to make sure that I can uh, have time to bring everybody in. Uh, so Marcella, let me bring you into the conversation. So, uh, If many of my listeners are like me, uh, before going to Gartner, I wasn't familiar with OMP. Just tell me real quickly a little bit about the company and what you think distinguishes your organization. What's your focus?
2: Yes, Bob. OMP is a leading provider of supply chain planning software with customers in many types of industries all over the world. But more importantly, OMP has a focus on customer success and solution adoption that permits our entire company. It starts at the very top with our leadership and goes all the way down to our implementation teams and even our development team. For example, my role specifically focuses on making sure our customers have the proper organization and business processes in place to not only take advantage of our advanced technology, but also ensure the new solution truly takes hold and is adopted by the organization, leading to tangible value being returned to our customers as a result of the OMP project. So in addition to world-class technology, our company culture has a distinctive com- commitment to making our customers successful no matter what it takes.
0: Uh, Steph just described a really pretty interesting journey, right? Mm-hmm. From, from traditional planning to scenario planning and you know, better long-term planning, better forecasting, and also being able to identify... Um, Value now. You were a planner before you worked for OMP, so I wondered first, you know, what part of his story resonates with you as a former planner, and also, you know, the challenges that your customers are bringing to you and how they might differ from the past.
2: Well, talking about my previous role, Steph was describing all the challenges, the part of managing a portfolio that is really large with a lot of options with the variability of the market how it changes the dynamics of the market are very different than 10 20 years ago when i started working so the challenge is how you ensure that you are delivering the right service with the right cost but today as you were mentioning today our customers are mainly focused on business continuity While they are delivering their business goals, the continuous increase in complexity and in business space has changed the rules, and it is not longer only about inventory reduction while improving service, it goes further. There are more individualized or personalized products like thinking shoes or perhaps whiskey bottles that you can order Mm -hmm. your whiskey bottle with your name on it. Mm -hmm. uh, What Jeff was mentioning, Steph was mentioning, related with how. In pharmaceuticals, it has also changed a lot at the level of customers, different SKUs for each one of the customers. So this has been creating a much bigger product portfolio in general, more different channels to manage like e-commerce. The need for not only volume balancing and reaching financial objectives, but also to incorporate new sustainability objectives. So the pace of business needs has to be more agile in making planning decisions. In the past, you needed to make a planning decision, but you can have a weekly rolling forecast or a monthly forecast. Today, we are on cycles that may be even daily with all the changes that have been happening. So right now, all is about ensuring there is the right total supply chain balance oriented to an end-to-end value generation that can drive to a continuous improvement cycle. And in the past, I think it was not so dynamic and not that complex.
0: So one of the things we also just talked about with Steph was digital transformation and planning um, at Janssen and for instance, going from 500 uh, spreadsheets uh, you know and and bringing all those different supply chains you know into one organization. Um, you got as you mentioned, you know you went to school at one of the best supply chain schools in the world, which is Procter and Gamble that has done just a number of leading edge things around digital transformation. Not everybody is a Janssen, a J and J, or a Procter and Gamble. And we hear a lot of stories about, you know, digital transformation projects that did not go well. In mm-hmm. your experience, particularly from a planning standpoint, what holds companies back or what's the impediment to a successful planning transformation?
2: I think that what is happening most of the time is that they are designing for a different company. And what I mean with this is that they are not considering their current reality. It is common to find that when they are defining their improvement journey, they start for an ideal state. They do not start from basic conditions. They do not use their real maturity level as a starting point for each and all the different dimensions. When I talk about different dimensions, I am referring to the maturity of their organization of their processes, of their data, and of their systems. It is critical to design for the current state to create an achievable plan that will deliver the basis first for them to be be able to start building from there. If the process do not exist, if you have, for example, an organization where there are processes that are based on a lot of empiric knowledge or they are not well-documented or they are not aligned between functions, uh, or they are not linked with the mission or vision of the company, it is most probable that the results are going to be different to what they are looking for. You are going to be designing something that you may not be able to execute. No. The same happens with the organization. If, if the structure is not the one needed to support the changes on the desired design, the improvement journey will take more effort, if ever achieved. And I think the second thing that is affecting is that, and that I have seen, is how the organizations wait to st- wait to start measuring and tracking until they have made all the changes. It is critical for success to start measuring and tracking at the very beginning to enable timely adjustments and decisions that can be translated in cost avoidance and being ready on time with the project No. I have seen that if you wait until the end to start measuring, you suddenly notice that you were developing a process for for a scenario management that is based on something that you do not have today because the data is not ready and doesn't have the quality. So I do believe that tracking the output measures to help adjusting the input measures is key for a continuous improvement process. All is about planning, defining the improvement areas, doing, executing the plan, checking, tracking the qualitative and quanti- the qualitative and quantitative results that create the value, and acting to adjust the plan. With this purpose, OMP actually has established certain methodologies that go that accompanies our customers during the project stages. Because, as you are saying, it's very common to see that we you that a project like this fails, and I think it's Mainly, lack of tracking and not starting from
0: the basics. Uh, last question. I'm going to ask it of both of you. I'm going to start with Marcela because you were just starting uh, or just talking about, and you actually used the word starting point. So, um, you know, I talk to a lot of companies who talk about their digital transformation projects, and everybody starts with something different, and where they started theoretically makes sense for them. Uh, versus what the other organization is doing. So put aside the process. If I'm looking within my organization, if I'm looking in with within, say, my planning organization, how do I identify the starting point or the you know the the area that I can transform to deliver value? Uh, so I'll start with you, Marcella, and then Steph. I'll ask you the same question in terms of you know how did you identify the starting point? for some of the projects you did. But Marcella, go in first.
2: Well, I think that the first step will always be to understand what is hurting the business. That is translated into the value drivers where they need to improve. Once those have been identified, we need to provide them with the information about the capabilities they need to, to start improving. So you already know what is hurting you, but what you need to improve those and how to measure that you are actually contributing to the improvement of the business. As we all know, what is not measured cannot improve. All this needs to be done as a journey to ensure it can be sustainable because we have created together the process and the capability. Mainly, I think it's that.
0: Great. Steph, same question to you. If you think yeah. about you know, the projects you initiated, how did you choose them? How did you say, okay, this is a great place to start?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What for us was uh, very important, is to uh, start looking um, from the outside world. Outcome. Yeah. Uh, what do, do? How can we impact the life of patients in a better way? Yeah. What can we do for our customers in order to make their life more easy and in order to make the life in order to do business with us uh, much better? Yeah. So it's very important, first of all, to understand that that environment. That 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 experience with us in order to improve Um, they have to see us in the supply chain as an added value not people who are inward looking uh, working on their own but really people who take care of them and look on where can we can we benefit and of course you need also to take into account the top and the bottom line impact that you can have for for your company yeah so that's that's always one aspect that you have to do to to, to keep in mind second aspect is in this type of environment which is rather new and which is going to impact uh, the 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 supply chain in general very substantially in the next coming years I think it's important to think big to think big in in the sense of okay suppose we can have a complete uh, frictionless planning where only we we see uh, exceptions that we can, that we need to work on and that we need to discuss in the uh, um, IBP process, yeah, because in the meantime SNOP has evolved to, to IBP, is very important. But in order to make uh, to, to show that the, the big thing that you think, yeah, that's um, on the strategy level, it's important that you start small. Don't bowl the ocean. Yeah? Start small and prove that it indeed works. Yeah, um, and in supply chain, typically, I would always start with uh, with but, uh, how can we impact then the, the customers on the demand side in order to understand it. Do, uh, do pilots and, and see that it works. Yeah, how, for instance, can we integrate our supply chain better with the suppliers? Yeah, pharma can still learn a lot of the car industry where they uh, are much better integrated, but also quality. Yeah, today, quality is using information, but still have their own plan. Maybe in thinking big, maybe we can think, okay, let's go to to one plan for everything. So do these experiments and then ensure that you can scale fast in order to come to the final objective that you have defined in thinking big. Um, Of course, it needs to be end-to-end. All the different players need to be included, not only the tier ones, but maybe like like in the car industry, they now go to tier four and five. Corona has proven us that indeed farba needs to move very fast not only to look at tier ones but also at the tier two three four um, industry in order to to understand or suppliers in order to understand the impact when something is happening yeah. and it needs to be fully integrated yeah, uh, that aspect yeah so that is part of of the bigger picture split the the big the, the big cake yeah uh, make it uh, attractive for management that it can work but then scale very fast so that you can have an, uh, a bigger impact on the business.
0: Steph, think big but start small. I like that. That was uh, that was really great advice so thank you for that. Uh, and thank you both. That's all the time we have today. Uh, again, a special thanks to Steph Vermarin and Marcelo Perez for joining me and thank you for listening. I hope you'll be back for our next episode for Supply Chain Management Review. I'm Bob Troublecock.